You can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at verse 4. Um, there's quite a portion of Matthew 5 printed in the bulletins, and I'm going to leave it there for the next few weeks, but we're only going to read verse 4. We're not going to read the whole thing uh, together every week. But uh, So there it is in the bulletin. Um, and if, if you needed a Bible, uh, there's some on the back table. <clears throat> so we're going through Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel uh, shows Jesus to be the true king. Um, sort of the emphasis of Matthew's gospel is that he's the king, uh, the king of the Jews, the king that the Hebrews were expecting because of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies that were given to that particular people. He's the true king, but not just the king of an earthly kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew records Jesus always talking about the kingdom of heaven. Um, like we've mentioned before, uh, Jesus uh, talks about it so often it shows up more than 50 times in uh, Matthew's gospel, that word kingdom. And here in the Beatitudes, uh, we have the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first sermon that Matthew has recorded, and it's a sermon about the blessed life in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, it's all about a relationship with God. Uh, that is the true blessing of life in the kingdom. It's relationship with the king. It's relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it becomes very clear that the only blessing that we have is Jesus. Uh, when all other good things seem to be stripped away and we become overwhelmed with the reality of our sin, the sin of other people, and misery in this world, or death. Uh, Sometimes all we can do is mourn, but Jesus says, even so, it is the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven. It sounds a bit uncomfortable, but coming from Jesus, it must be good, so let's talk about it. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, here we have the words of your beloved Son, the very word of God. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we have come uh, because you've called us, and we've come to listen to you because you have the words of life. So we pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to hear what you have to say, to believe it, and to be renewed by it in our relationship with you. We pray in your name. Amen. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So our family attended a memorial service for a Christian friend this week. Some of you were there. Um, actually, it wasn't called a memorial service. Uh, it was called a celebration of life. Now, um, I don't want to criticize naming it a celebration of life. It, it's true that the death of a Christian is an occasion to celebrate God, celebrate God who gives life, celebrate the life of the beloved uh, who has died. It's an occasion to profess our faith that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that uh, those who die in the Lord will not die alone. They never die alone. Uh, and they will go to be with Jesus, and they themselves will be resurrected bodily in glory someday when Jesus returns. So because of Jesus, death is not the end of our uh, relationship with God. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not grieve as others who, uh, uh, who have no hope. We do not grieve as others do who have no hope. Christians can grieve with hope. With hope. Uh, but sometimes we avoid grieving at all. And when we insist on maybe calling it a celebration of life, it might just be a way of uh, living in denial and suppressing our grief, ignoring the painful part of the reality that here is someone who we love who just died and uh, is no longer here with us. 
So, but Jesus uh, says it's good for us to grieve. With hope, yes, but grieving. We grieve as those who have hope. We grieve. So sorrow and sadness and anguish and heartache and mourning, these are fully approved experiences of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Blessed are those who mourn. So there's a terrible tension in this that um, we would love to be able to avoid. Uh, You remember the word uh, blessed, blessed. It means uh, deeply, divinely happy. Not happy on a superficial level, uh, but deeply, divinely happy. Really, it means we're happy with God's own happiness. We have God's own happiness. That's what the word blessed means. So, So happy with God's own happiness. Are those who mourn? So God's happiness includes something like this mourning? Happy are the sad people? What kind of terrible fate is Jesus consigning us to in his kingdom when he says such things? Uh, How can it be good to suffer the pain of loss? How can it be good to suffer in the brokenness of this world? Is Jesus just saying crazy stuff uh, because he has this warped view of reality, like up is down and left is right and good is evil? Is he just saying crazy stuff? No. Mourning is not good in itself. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying mourning is good um, or the things that cause us to grieve are good. He's not saying that those things are good in and of themselves. He's, not promoting, he's also not promoting the, the idea of uh, perpetual sadness, right? So if you want to be blessed, you've got to be mourning all the time. He's not saying that you know, all sadness all the time is the only true way to experience the kingdom of heaven. He speaks of joy. Jesus speaks of joy. He says he has joy, and he proclaims the gospel to us for our share in his joy. He says in John 15, he's talking to his disciples, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So he has joy, and he wants to share it with us, full to overflowing. He doesn't want sadness to rule our reality. He came to give us the blessing of being happy with God's own happiness. It's just that Jesus teaches us that life in his kingdom means that we will find joy, we'll find blessing, we'll find God's own happiness. Not by avoiding grief, not by avoiding mourning and sadness and sorrow, but through our mourning, even in our grieving, in our sorrow. We prefer to avoid mourning altogether. We try to arrange our lives for maximum comfort in such a way that we aren't even confronted with the reality of things that lead to mourning, lead to grieving, lead to sorrow. Uh, Consider a passage that uh, we looked at together a few months ago in April uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad or made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So we might prefer to be celebrating birthdays and feasting and laughing to find some enjoyment, sort of tune out the background noise of the misery and death that is all around us in this world. But God teaches us that it's better, that it's blessed, Jesus says, to face the inescapable realities of things like death, 
to meditate on it, to take it to heart, to let sorrow and grief have their effects on us. We're not talking about cultivating a morbid fascination with death, but when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, one thing he's saying is that it would be better to face the hard reality than to live in denial and distraction. Right? So he's nowhere near being a pessimist. He's also against having a stubborn, naive optimism that denies the reality of our sadness and the brokenness of this world. Jesus is for our being vulnerable to reality. That's what he wants. Our being vulnerable to reality. And sometimes that means hurting. Sometimes that means suffering pain. Sometimes that means being sad. So when true love came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, it meant his hurting, hurting, his suffering pain, his being sad, his grieving, his mourning. That's some of what it meant. And if life in the kingdom of heaven is interesting to you, life with Jesus is interesting to you, then it'll mean the vulnerability of love just like it meant for him. So there's this great quote from C.S. Lewis that says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. Right? So Jesus is the God of love incarnate. He's divine love come in the flesh, which means he opened himself up to heartbreaking loss. That's what it means for God to come in the flesh The God of love, he opens himself up to heartbreaking loss, to rejection, painful rejection and abandonment by those who are closest to him. Opens himself up to death in his love. So if you'd like to avoid mourning, it means avoiding Jesus. It means closing yourself off to Jesus. But if you'd like to know Jesus and live with Jesus, it'll mean mourning. It'll mean mourning the death of loved ones. Facing the hard reality of that. But not just mourning over death, mourning over things like sin. Your sin. The sin of others in the church. That word mourning is used that way. It's applied that way in the scriptures. We ought to mourn the sin of others in the church. We ought to mourn the brokenness of our relationships. The loss of our relationships. To mourn means that you've loved. <clears throat> and it means that you've faced reality with enough courage to suffer it. And right there we have to admit that our courage falters and our love falters and we usually find it hard to believe that blessed are those who mourn. We turn to distraction and denial to escape the reality of our sorrows. We turn to drink to drown our sorrows. But Jesus' courage never fails. His love never fails. His faith never fails. The Son of God came into the world. He was known as... A man of sorrows, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's his identity. He didn't have to come. He could have avoided the suffering. He could have avoided it altogether. He didn't have to open himself up to that. Except that it was in God's character to come and face reality as one of us. 
on our behalf. So he faced the death of one of his beloved friends. And when he faced that death, uh, Lazarus' death, you can read about that in the Gospel of John. Jesus wept in grief. He hadn't closed himself off against the pain of that. He wept in grief. Even the creator in the flesh, the Lord who is himself the resurrection and the life, grieved. He knew where the story was going, and he wielded God's power to raise the dead, and he grieved. He knew that he would redeem the whole world through his blood at the cross, and that he would rise victoriously over the grave, and that he'd possess the keys to death and hell, and that his resurrection would guarantee the resurrection of all his beloved, all those who belonged to him. He would never lose any of them ultimately, and still he grieved. He didn't grieve as one without hope. He had hope. But he still grieved. The blessed one has mourned. And that is why he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because our mourning gives us a connection to Jesus. We get to know him. An opportunity to relate to the blessed one. A fellowship with Jesus in a life like his, which means uh, sufferings like his. That's the blessing. That's the true blessing of life in the kingdom of heaven is getting Jesus. Those who are vulnerable to sorrows in this world for love's sake, get Jesus. And ultimately, this will mean comfort for us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. Remember, it isn't blessed to mourn uh, just for the sake of mourning in itself, right? The true blessing is in God's promise of comfort, the comfort that we find in God. That's the true blessing. That word, uh, comfort, here in verse 4, it translates the Greek word parakaleo, which literally means to call to one's side, or something like uh, coming alongside of. So it's not the kind of comfort you get from a cup of hot cocoa by a nice warm fireplace on a wintry day. It's the kind of comfort one person offers another. It's the support that a person receives through fellowship with another. It's the comfort of companionship. In John's gospel, Jesus uses the the noun form of this here. Uh, He says paraclete to talk about himself and uh, the Holy Spirit as comforters. The Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament foretold that he would be our comforter. Isaiah 61 says, uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus took this on his lips. This is who is speaking, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, that's among God's people, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. So Jesus is the comforter. The spirit is the comforter. God is the comforter. Jesus is the blessing who makes our mourning worthwhile. Jesus is the blessing who makes the vulnerability of our love worthwhile. There's a real sense in which we have this comfort even now in the midst of this world that's filled with sorrows and grief because we have Jesus now. We have him by faith. We don't see him right now, but we do have him. But probably the best understanding of what Jesus is saying here, what he's trying to convey, is that those who are truly open to a life with Jesus will know the ultimate comfort of his presence in the new heavens and the new earth. His, his promise is in the future tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, they will be comforted. They shall be comforted. There will come a time for all those who trust in Jesus 
when faith becomes sight and we see the Lord and we'll know the perfect comfort of his presence forever. That's the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. We read about that in Revelation 21. Uh, John has this vision of heaven toward the end of it. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, talking about the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write it down for these words are trustworthy and true. So you can be assured. You can be assured of this because this is the true word of God thundered from the throne of heaven to every corner of the kingdom of heaven. The good news proclaimed by the king of heaven himself, the promises backed by his own blood. Jesus makes new our grief. Jesus makes new our weeping. Jesus makes new our howling and our ugly crying. By making sorrow an opportunity for knowing him. And he will turn our sorrow into joy and our mourning into dancing when he calls us to his side to everlasting comfort of his presence. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've loved us with a great love. Lord Jesus, you made yourself vulnerable to sorrow in your love. There's a great comfort in knowing you, in knowing that our sorrows are opportunities for knowing you. There's comfort in this. There's perfect comfort in your presence. We pray that you'd help us to believe your promise, that you are with us always, even when we don't see you. Help us to believe that you will never leave us or forsake us, as you've promised. Help us to find hope in the perfect comfort that will be ours, because you told us that you'll wipe away every tear with your own hand when we see you with our own eyes. Help us to hold on to you as our comforter so that we can grow in our love and our faith and our courage, even if it means vulnerability to sorrow. Help us to face reality with you. Help us to know you as our all-consuming reality. Bless us with your own happiness in God's presence. We pray in your name. Amen.